We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's a Thanksgiving extravaganza on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. This podcast is brought to you by my bookie and Rotoviz Patreon. A reminder to everybody out there that you can still take part in supporting Rotoviz at patreon.com slash rotovizradio supporting all of the podcasts that we have coming out when you sign up for patreon you also get access to our listener exclusive slack channel where you can interact with a number of people on the podcast teams get your questions answered talk with the other patrons in there just a really good place to bounce ideas off of people and continue the discussion and also, we still have the 10% discount for podcast listeners that you can find at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. More importantly, Matt, Thanksgiving is nearly here. We talked about pies at great length last year. As the listeners might know, you tend to get pretty excited about pies. Is there a particular pie that you are most looking forward to eating this year? Did we, uh, did we talk about pies? Yeah, we, we did a couple guess, of times because I had a lot of leftover pie and you were really interested in what type of pie we had. Yeah, that, that does sound familiar. Uh, okay, so sadly this year, I think I'm going to uh, try to have some, you know, willpower and not go crazy on the pies. Yep. Um, we will see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I mean, power, power rankings of pies. I mean, uh, pumpkin is obviously up there. Some people like sweet potato. Did we have the, the conversation of pumpkin versus sweet potato last year? I don't think we did. Yeah, I don't think we did. 
I mean, is there, do you have a preference on that? I am partial to pumpkin only in that I don't think I've ever been presented like a home cooked uh, sweet potato pie. That's, uh, you know, like authentic. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're super comparable. Um, but uh, yeah, I was raised with pumpkin pie, but sweet potato pie, I've liked it when I've had it. Cherry pie, obviously good, probably not seasonal, but whatever, still yep. like it. Uh, pecan pie, really there's uh, no such thing as a bad pie, except for mincemeat pie. Get that <laughs> out of here. Don't don't even show up to uh, a place where I am with mincemeat pie, or I will take it and throw it in your face. What about like a key lime pie? Oh, of course. Key lime what about pie a Boston is, cream pie? Because I would say that's not really like a pie like I'm thinking of, but it's still good. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's sort of like a uh, like a derivation, like a lesser version of like a, a French silk pie or something like that. But it's <laughs> it's all the same. Like that's that's fine. It's I mean, it's all pie. I think it counts, except for mincemeat pie. Once again, that stuff is horrible. Uh, yeah, I've never had it, so I might just have to give it a try. Did you ever see? Uh, the episode of friends where Rachel like tries to make a dessert and it's horrible. And she like puts meat in there and Joey's like, it's all good. Uh, that's basically what mincemeat pie is. It's the pie version of that. And it's disgusting. Got it. Got it. Uh, my final question that I'll ask for you on at least particular in particular to your Thanksgiving, are you guys staying at home? Or are you making the trek back to Texas? What are you doing? Uh, no, it's got it. Got to stay here. Got to nice. stay home. Yeah. Nice. Um, so before we actually get into football, I have a quick story that I want to tell. Um, so you, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Frozen 2 came out, uh, last week, which is a pretty big deal for the kids. I am aware I've heard of it. Uh, continue. Okay. So, uh, we, my wife gets tickets online. We're going to take my daughter. It's going to be the first movie that she goes to. So we get there. And this is an interesting theater experience in that you have assigned seating when you get the tickets online. You are given a seat. So we start looking for a seat, and my wife's like, we're 16 through 18. And I'm like, wait a second. We're 16 through 18? That would imply to me that every seat in this theater is then numbered. But that doesn't make any sense because I am looking up towards the seating, and there are letters. So how does this compute that we are 16, 17, and 18? Um, uh oh, those are right. the rows. What's that? Are those the rows? Well, we'll find out soon that it's something that you may not even expect. So, okay. um, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I-, I assume she's just being stupid. I'm like, let me see the phone with these tickets. So I look at it. I'm looking all around. All I see is 16, 17, 18. I was like, well, I'm just going to have to go ask somebody what is going on. Find some girl in the hallway that works there. She's like, oh, I don't know. You'll have to go see so-and-so at the front. So I walk over there. I, 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 you know, I, I look at this person thinking to myself, like, there has to be something going on here. Uh, it turned out that what we were looking at as 16, 17, 18 were really I7, I8, and uh, I6. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so it was very yeah. humbling. Yeah, that is, that is very humbling. Um, I'm assuming it's not that uh, you guys need glasses. But it, that it's just like uh, it wasn't a lowercase I and you have bad vision. It was just the uh, the uppercase I, but it just looks like a one. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I could tell from the response, it seems like this has happened to other people. So we weren't the first ones. But anyway, that was my um, my humbling experience of the week. Well, I, I mean, totally their fault. They need to have the eyes with the actual like bars across the top and the bottom to uh, to clarify. I yeah, mean, totally their fault. 
Um, I thought you were maybe going to say that you were at the wrong movie theater, which would have given me ultimate pleasure. <laughs> no, um, but the only thing that could get worse is as we're recording this, if Lamar Jackson just starts running up the score on the Rams. Yes, well, I'm, I'm sure that will happen. Because I am enjoying the fact that this is going to be the first podcast of the year where there's really nothing uh, pressing related to Lamar Jackson that we can talk about. It, it'll happen. Just give it time. All right. So let's talk football now. We will get into it. Uh, Jason Garrett called a great game against the Pats yesterday, don't you think? Uh, I think the exact opposite of that. <laughs> I, I think he called the game that we all expected him to call. The, the hallmark of the Cowboys under Jason Garrett uh, under the Jason Garrett regime, I should say, uh, is that the Cowboys barely beat the teams that they should clobber and they barely lose to the teams that are better than them. Um, and that's exactly what we saw. I think, uh, the Cowboys actually as a, a roster, their top, you know, 50 players versus the top 50 players for the Patriots, pretty comparable. The Cowboys might even actually have a little more talent, but the Patriots, uh, have, a better coaching staff. And that entirely makes the difference, you know, and plus the Patriots aren't as reliant on any one, uh, one thing with their offense. So in a bad weather game, it's not quite as, uh, like it's not quite as detrimental to them as it is to the Cowboys who really rely on the passing game this year. Uh, and so in a bad weather game, they can't pass the ball. And I mean, it's like you can look at the forecast. You know that there's going to be bad weather. We knew that heading into the game for most of the week, and yet the Cowboys didn't plan as if there was going to be bad weather. It's it's stuff like this that uh, has just been blatantly obvious to Cowboys fans for a decade, and yet somehow Jerry Jones just now seems to have realized, hey, wait a minute, I have a coach who can't think in a like global galactic way when it comes to organizing a game and a team. Um, <laughs> Did you say in a galactic way? Yeah. I mean, like you want like a big brain managing stuff. You know what yep. I mean? And like Jason Garrett just does not have that big brain. Like no, that, he's, that's for sure. Yeah. Like he's, he's a bird. He has a bird brain. Like that's the type of coach that he is. Um, The thing that stood out to me the most, and we, just because we have not talked about it this year, we actually, um, announced Randall Cobb as as dead from a fantasy perspective on this podcast last year but he seems to have resurrected himself as of late. Yeah, I mean, it's th this offense has been great to watch when it hasn't been garroted, you know, like when it's Kellen Moore running the offense instead of like Jason Garrett putting his dirty fingerprints on it. The offense flows really well. And a lot of that is probably correlated uh with their opponent. So when they have been playing teams that aren't good, they have really been able to pass the ball. Uh, and you look at it, even with that game uh, yesterday, we're recording this on Monday, so the game was yesterday on Sunday. Even with that game, um, the Cowboys are still one of the top teams in the league. I believe still the top team in the league on a yards per play basis. Uh, number one in the passing game. Like they, they are legitimately good on offense. Uh, and the thing that's just so sad is that it has nothing to do with Jason Garrett. It has to do with their offensive coordinator and the talent that they've amassed. Uh, if they just had a competent head coach who could organize everything um, and, and kind of think in that uh, like strategic top down way, uh, this could be a Super Bowl contending team. Like they have that type of talent. Like if you put Belichick with this team 
and Garrett with the Patriots. I mean, it would be like almost an exact like role reversal. Like the Cowboys legitimately might be undefeated if they had Belichick as their coach. I'm willing to accept that statement. Um, because the talent is there, like you alluded to. I mean, I, I think that it's very fair to say that the Cowboys might have more talent than the Patriots. I think that Dak is good enough, especially with the pieces around him to support that offense. And the game planning would just be so much better. And then on the flip side, I think Garrett with the with the Patriots talent that they have this year, you're probably somewhere similar. Uh, I would like to say that with Tom Brady playing quarterback for him, that they could be a little bit more successful. But if they had the same injuries that they've had to the offense in this hypothetical, I think it would be tough for them to be more than maybe one, one and a half wins better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yep. Yeah, so the 49ers absolutely mauled the Packers on Sunday night. George Kittle had the best game or his best game in the season. He's kind of quietly been crushing it. Third in PPR uh, per game. He's been a tight end one every week except one. Yet I feel like uh, for whatever reason, it felt like he hasn't matched expectations. Have you had the same perception? Uh, I think when you look at the numbers, though, it's hard to actually say that, you know, he's he's fallen short. Yeah, he just he was in a negative situation uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, he had two touchdowns called back in week one. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what happened in week two. Maybe they they like just totally got in negative game script where they were uh, ahead and they were just running the ball all over the place. And so like the, the first couple of weeks, he's kind of had to catch up from that. And then he's been battling the injury. Uh, you know, there were reports that he's, uh, you know, playing on a uh, like semi-fractured ankle um it's i mean a negative situation uh you know for for him just in terms of like his like he relies on athleticism like that's kind of like his game like he's a a after the catch type of guy uh and that guy needs to have like full athleticism to play at his peak and he just hasn't had that and and even with that he was still awesome in week 12 um I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, he's at this point, I don't think it's even quietly crushing. Like, I think he's yeah. like, he's full on crushing, um, especially because uh, Hooper is still uncertain. Um, Ertz has regressed a little bit. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to like about what Kittle is doing. Um, I, I think clearly the best player on the, the 49ers, which it's interesting. Like, okay, so most teams that are 10 and one, um, would have a clear MVP candidate and the 49ers just don't have that, which like speaks to, uh, their coaching speaks to, um, like the well-roundedness of the team. Uh, and given that like the quarterback on that team, probably, I mean, Garoppolo, let's just say granted, he probably is the most important player to that team because of the position he plays. But after him, it really might be Kittle. Like, I think he's the most I don't know. Like, again, you can't say he's the most important player on that offense because he doesn't play quarterback, but like, he's a good blocker. He's the best receiver that they have. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Kittle's the most impressive player on that team. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that also their success speaks to the play of the defense. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you look at just Garoppolo's numbers, I mean, they're really not all that impressive. He's 12 in pass yards. He is fifth in passing touchdowns, which is actually is kind of surprising. 13 in QBR. 
But if you looked at just the quarterback, it's not going to match up with what you might expect from a team that this far into the season only has one loss. It is coming off of the type of victory that they had last night against what had been a very competitive team up until that point. Yeah. Uh, By the way, as we are recording this, uh, halfway through the first quarter of Monday Night Football, Lamar Jackson has 22 rushing yards and one passing touchdown. Okay. Good for him. Um, Will Fuller, <laughs> awesome first game back. 11 targets, 7 wrecks, 140 yards. You think we're going to see more of this? Yeah, I mean, he's always going to be volatile. Um, You know, he's either, he's boomer bust, which is like kind of what I love about him. Um, But yeah, I I think uh we're going to see more of this. Like he's, he's right up there with DeAndre Hopkins whenever they are both healthy yep. and they have Deshaun Watson as their quarterback. Um, he doesn't have the consistency week to week, but, uh, you know, on a, a points per game basis, he is right there with Hopkins. And I think I actually like him for week 12, sorry, for week 13. Uh, I know that they are playing the Patriots coming up. Um, I think we're going to continue to see Gilmore, uh, locking down opposing number one receivers. Uh, I expect he will be on Hopkins. I actually like the matchup quite a bit for Fuller going against Jason McCourty. Um, McCourty's like, 32 33 like he doesn't have the athleticism that he used to have i don't think he can hang with fuller like it it wouldn't be surprising if there's like i mean you never want to say that any wide receiver is going to go off on the patriots because i mean that would be kind of stupid to predict but if there's a guy who could do it i i think it could be fuller well the crazy thing about fuller is if you just look at the numbers when he actually plays i mean they're they're insane to the point that when we run the GLSP, if you are only, you know, if you're removing the weeks that he didn't play, which we're doing, you're always just about, I should, I mean, not every week, but like the overall majority of weeks, he projects as a top 12 type of wide receiver. And I think that a lot of it is because of the insane performances that he has put up. And also he has that type of profile where when players like him make things happen and they get a, you know like a 14 target game and 11 target per game I mean that's just gravy because with a couple of just a couple of targets they can break a big play and accrue you know tremendous production in a span of you know minutes so the GLSP always likes him if you go and you look at the splits of when he's actually healthy I mean it's just uh really impressive what he's done and then he's playing with a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins so the situation is just great for him I think as long as Fuller and it, the health is always going to be a question but when healthy I think even from a dynasty perspective he's probably top 15 top 16 Oh absolutely totally agree um I think he is routinely undervalued because people are kind of focused on the consistency of week to week production which like I don't want to say that isn't important and like that was always something that uh Deshaun Jackson got dinged for was that he wasn't really consistent week to week but um, I don't know. Like, I, I think people overvalue that, especially now, like in the best ball era, I think people overvalue that, but even in seasonal leagues where you still have to set your lineup and, and consistency is still something that matters. It doesn't matter that much because you're still smoothing out that production over like a portfolio of like nine to 11 players. So like you still, in the end, want the guys who like in the aggregate, just score points. And that's what Will Fuller does. Yeah, and I think the other thing that people would be surprised about is if you took a player like even Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, and you compare 
kind of their ups and downs relative to their point totals, you're going to realize that the fluctuations that they have week to week aren't as drastically different from a player like Fuller as you would think. So if somebody wants to log on to the Stat Explorer and take a look at that, go look at um, Fuller's week-to-week point totals from previous seasons. This year, it's kind of hard to look at with him being banged up. But you look at what those kind of trend like, and you compare that with other players, and you also look at the percentage of weeks that he's finishing as a wide receiver one or wide receiver two, you match that up against players that don't have that boomer bust label, and I think you would be surprised. All right, Matt, tell me the player that fantasy owners should be most thankful for this season. Uh, I have no idea. I'd say maybe, maybe Kyler Murray. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> Uh, that- I mean, I, I think the obvious one is that if you were one of the lucky people to get Christian McCaffrey in the first round, um, it would be pretty hard for you to be losing your league at this point. Like you are probably locked into the playoffs because so many other first round players uh, have have disappointed this year. Um, you know, you think of some of the other running backs who went in the first round. Uh, I mean, uh, too bad for everyone who took David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell. Uh, I mean, you know, some people like we're taking James Conner kind of high. I mean, they're just, uh, I mean, Saquon Barkley, obviously is someone who's disappointed. Zeke is kind of disappointed. Like, uh, Christian McCaffrey is just head and shoulders above every other running back at this point. Um, and then some of the wide receivers also taken in the first round have disappointed. Um, it's really been a wasteland. If you look at everyone who went in the first round, except for Christian McCaffrey. Um, so I, I think if you were one of the fortunate people to get him, uh, you have to be pretty thankful. Yeah, I think that McCaffrey's one of the players that you could make a claim for. I will admit, I think that Lamar Jackson is probably one of those players that you could also make a claim for as a player that we should be the most thankful for. Uh, so what I did to kind of try to answer this question was I looked at points per game scored by players in relation to the ADP that they were selected at using uh, ESPN PPR as a source. And the player that I deemed owners that have him should be the most thankful for is DJ Chark. And that is because he was going undrafted yeah. in some ESPN leagues. And in points per game, he is at 17.4. So above him, you know, you're seeing at the highest um, outside of quarterbacks, you know, players in that like. Uh, 118, uh, actually not even 118 because that's a quarterback. Um, I think the highest that you're going to see ahead of him is some, uh, or like guys in the fifties and seventies. So that just speaks to how impressive of a season he's had in relation to what people were expecting of him. Another player that could have gotten there was John Ross on the pace that he was at, but obviously I'm removing him from this given just the four games, but there are no other players uh, that even come near having that type of disparity, except perhaps Austin Eckler. And he was still going 64. Um, So very impressive stuff from Chark. Yeah. I mean, Chark is just, he's been incredible. Um, I, I definitely was not expecting this type of production from him. Um, you know, LSU has just, they've been like very hit or miss with some of their wide receivers. And they've put like a lot of guys in the NFL who have had that, like that profile of like, Oh, this guy is big and fast, but he didn't have all that much production in college. Um, I mean, I feel like the past 15 years, we've seen like five of those guys enter the NFL. Um, and you know, shark is the one who paid off. 
Yeah, and I think another player that could have gotten into this discussion would have been Austin Hooper. Uh, He was going at an ADP of around 113. Yeah. uh, But the injury um, at the current point in time kind of makes it hard to point to him. I thought it would be fun, though, to look down. I'm just going to kind of go down this list. We won't look at quarterbacks. Um, Obviously, though, McCaffrey's at 30.63 points at an ADP of two. Still very impressive. Michael Thomas was going at 10. He comes in behind McCaffrey as the positional player with the highest points behind him, right around 24. Dalvin Cook was going an ADP of 16. He's at just about uh, 23 and a half per game. Chris Godwin, another guy that you could probably could have made a case for. His ADP on ESPN was 41, averaging almost 22 points per game. Eckler, who I mentioned behind him, Aaron Jones, who was going an ADP of 30. Uh, points per game are around 20. I think that you could also potentially um, make a case, not that you should be most thankful, but Jamal Williams actually was, it's interesting, people kind of forgot about him heading into the draft. He, in many leagues, was the type of guy that people were grabbing in the last round or so, but he does rank in at RB25. It's been interesting to kind of see that relationship and how the team has been using them. Outside of last night, both players have been usable any other names here that really stand out to me chris carson you know i was surprised to look back and see that his adp was actually 31 uh my memory i kind of felt like he was going later than that um while i mentioned him what do you think of that rashad petty uh, performance over the weekend 129 yards and a touchdown uh it was glorious i would say that uh in that instance he looked like an actual first round running back Okay. Uh, are you buying into the Pete <laughs> no, Carroll? Nothing, not, nothing to say there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Um, because I'm just not sure. Like, we've seen flashes from him before, right? We've seen the flashes. And I know that Pete Carroll is trying to say that it could be a timeshare. I just don't know if I'm ready to buy into that. Oh, sure. I was actually trying to sort of dig at you on uh, Sony Michelle. As oh, like, okay. Like, like that's what a first round running back looks like. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think that um, he's going to uh, clearly like take over the the backfield. But um, I, I mean, I think we've seen enough flashes from him to think that he's a talented guy who probably should get a little more work. And uh, it's unfortunate. Um, I think that he actually did have that game because uh, now, you know, like in Dynasty before that game, he might have been fairly easy to acquire, but now anyone who had him, like this glimpse of hope is just going to make them like shoot his value up uh, in terms of like acquiring costs if you want to trade for him. So, I mean, it's it's nice to see that he has that potential, but um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would have rather had him not to have a game like that and to be able to trade for him. For sure. Another name on the list that's probably as I make my way down, one of those names that you might not have expected to be this high, but John Brown at almost 16 points per game was going to yeah. ADP of 143. I love it. I, I mean, this is, this is the, the thesis for like John <laughs> Brown. He's um, it was like a, a perfect situation of him going to a team that didn't have an established receiver. And uh, he's a, a great deep ball receiver. Uh, and also I'd say probably underrated as a route runner as well. Uh, and then like, he's with a guy who has a strong arm. So like their skill sets or like where, where their strengths are match up. Um, but I mean, really it was the situation of him being healthy, 
Uh, I thought he did well in his first, uh, you know, like seven games last year when he had Flacco as his quarterback. Uh, so I was encouraged enough by that. So like I'm, I'm invested in Brown pretty much wherever I can be. And I was in dynasty fully invested in him from the beginning and still hadn't traded him. Uh, so it's, it's a fantastic year for him. He's like quote unquote high flooring his way to a really good season. Um, before the, the two touchdown game a couple of weeks ago, um, he hadn't really had a huge breakout game except for, uh, week one. Um, but he always had above 50 yards receiving. So like this last week was his first week without hitting 50 yards. Um, granted part of that was because of the matchup that he had against Christopher Harris and he still scored a touchdown. So, uh, really impressed with what we've seen out of John Brown and, uh, I think it could get better, you know, like he, he has his established skill set. Um, his quarterback could improve. I don't think his quarterback is going to get any worse. And so if Josh Allen continues to improve over the next couple of seasons, uh, I mean, I think we could see what we've seen out of Brown this year for, you know, two to three more years. That would be really, um, an awesome thing to have happened given the expectations that somebody would have had for Brown recently is, you know, even last year uh, in the outlook for his career. And I think it's worth noting too, that Josh Allen actually from a fantasy perspective has been very solid this year, over 22 points per game, which is eight depend or sometimes seven, depending on the quarterback scoring that you're looking at. But um, nonetheless, He's, you know, right behind Kyler Murray. I think you have to say that it's been a really successful season for Allen. Yeah, I think some people were uh, kind of thinking of what he did in the last six games last year, where he was the number one fantasy quarterback and kind of projecting that forward. And um, I mean, I'll admit, like I, I did that not because I was necessarily even thinking that that's what he would do, but you could see in that in that sample, the potential that he had to be a league winner. And obviously uh, if that's what you were hoping for, you're disappointed, but um, he's been a very serviceable uh, quarterback that you were able to get outside of the top 12. And like really anytime you get that, you, you have to be pleased. Yeah. Um, so Josh Allen definitely has made me go back. These quarterbacks, man, they're making me retract a lot of the statements that I have made about them. Allen, though, I don't know if we can expect this type of fantasy production for many years. Lamar Jackson, I cannot make a case against, but I should say that I need the attention of all past, present, and future MyBookie players. While I read this, I am waving my hands in the air because for this week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread. For up to $250, if you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. My bookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. Doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Do... You find yourself wanting to sports bet, but you have lots of questions. Don't sweat it. My bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is if you join now, you still have one last shot at taking advantage of their incredible signup offer. Just log on to mybookie.ag 
and make your first deposit with promo code ROTOVIZ, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that is on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. If you're a true football fan, don't let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Matt, I am going to recall the top 10 fantasy performances that we've seen of this season. More things that people should be thankful for. You let me know which one of these performances you find the most impressive. Will Fuller in week five against the Atlanta Falcons, 53.7 points. Aaron Jones, week five against your Cowboys, 49 points, four rushing touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, man, week five had a lot of uh, insane performances. McCaffrey with 47 points that week, 176 rushing yards, 61 yards as a receiver, two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. Sammy Watkins makes the list in week one against the Jaguars, scored 47 points, and then uh, from there basically did nothing. Mike Evans, week three against the Giants, 45 points, 190 receiving yards. Aaron Rodgers put up 44 in week seven against Oakland. I don't know if that really stands out as the most impressive here. Keenan Allen, week three, 183 yards. Two touchdowns, 43 points. Stefan Diggs in week six, seven wrecks, 167 yards, three touchdowns, going for 43 and a half points. The Marvin Jones, four touchdown performance in week seven against the Vikings for 43 points. And then Christian McCaffrey makes the list again in week one. He put up 43 against the Rams. A lot of things for fantasy owners to be thankful of there. What's the most impressive performance out of that list to you? I think the one that stands out the most to me is the Will Fuller game in week five, because um, in weeks one through four, he had really disappointed. Um, He had, uh, I'm looking at this now on PFR, he had 5.8 targets per game, only three and a half receptions per game, no touchdowns, and uh, an average of 45.8 yards. Um, He failed to hit even 70 yards in any of those first four games. But the thing is, he was still getting a ton of air yards. Uh, And so you you knew that at some point, if he continued to have targets deep down the field, uh, at some point he was going to be able to convert. And so it was like this um, like this pent up release of pressure uh, from all of the the failures of weeks one and four, like culminating in massive production in week five, uh, 16 targets. That's just like unbelievable 217 yards. So it's not like, Oh, he just happened to have three touchdowns with, you know, 70 yards. It's like, no, he was, he was earning those touchdowns the old fashioned way by getting a ton of yards. Um, that was, I mean, that was like such an impressive performance, which he followed up the next week by dropping three touchdowns, which was just like so, so total Will Fuller. That was like the full Will Fuller experience. Like no one started him in week five yep. uh, because of what he had done in weeks one through four. Everyone started him in week six because of what he did in week five. And then they watched him drop three touchdowns. It was it was just beautiful. But week five really was impressive. 
Yeah, you know it's impressive when it gets you to stray away from taking your boy Mike Evans and his 190 yards and three touchdowns. Um, yeah, it's hard to argue against that Will Fuller one. I think the Christian McCaffrey games are impressive too just because of the total yardage and the way that he's being used as both a, a rusher and receiver. But we've talked about McCaffrey and how impressive he's been so much uh, that I'm, I'm perfectly fine giving that, uh, that accolade to Fuller there. Well, every Thanksgiving, the Actually, president you know what, pardoned... You know what, sorry, can, 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 we, can we back up a second? I'm yeah, we can back up. Of, of Christian McCaffrey. Yep. Um, so he's been in the league at this point now almost three years. I'm trying to think of the other players who were in his draft class. Um, that was like the 2017 class, right? So that would have been um, Leonard Fournette, right? That would have been Corey Davis. Uh, yep. the, the quarterbacks of Mahomes and Watson. Um, I'm just thinking, and then there were the three tight ends in the first round. I'm just thinking from the dynasty perspective, like how much does everyone have to hate themselves who passed on Christian McCaffrey, who like, obviously it's easy to look at this stuff in retrospect, but um, I mean, people took Leonard Fournette number one, instead of Christian McCaffrey. Some people took Joe Mixon over Christian McCaffrey. Mm. Uh, if you took Corey Davis over Christian McCaffrey, you just absolutely have to hate yourself. Some people took John Ross, right? John Ross was a top 10 pick. Yep. Um, some people maybe even took him over Christian McCaffrey. If you just wanted to go for a wide receiver. Um, I mean, it's again, like this is it's retrospective, but I mean, he's just, and Mike Williams again was a, a top 10 wide receiver drafted that year. Like there were like other options that at the time you could justify, you could talk yourself into taking these other players over Christian McCaffrey, especially because there was this percep perception of him being a smaller back who would only be like a quote unquote supplemental guy in the NFL. Um, but like, I, I think he's just, what he's doing is outstanding for any player, but then especially when you put in the context of what he's doing compared to all of the players uh, who went ahead of him or around him in his draft class um, and like what was expected out of them relative to what was expected out of him. Like it's, it's all the more impressive. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, as I remember, like my take on it, I wasn't sold that he could just be as stellar as he's been. I don't think anybody could have seen that coming, but I definitely fell into some of the traps with him that you mentioned being kind of concerned about the size of if he could really take on a true um, workhorse type of role, but he really has just crushed things. So I would say the only way that you're, that you're doing that you're feeling good if you didn't take him would be if you drafted uh, Juju Smith Schuster ahead of him. Completely maybe, kidding. Completely yeah, no, kidding. I was going to say maybe, but not really. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, if you were able to get Christian McCaffrey and, and Dalvin Cook in the same draft, uh, yep. you are very happy with yourself right now. Oh, my gosh. You're so happy. Uh, the uh, interesting question, I'm going to kind of um, take us off the, you know, also Alvin Kamara was in that class, too, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take us off the real the, the rails here. Um, I'm looking at at uh, NFL.com. Uh, by Adam Rank, an article that came out in 2018, which was talking about doing the draft over and saying that uh, the first pick should have been Deshaun Watson, 
um, Miles Garrett at two, then Trubisky at three, Fournette at four. I won't read through everybody. Mahomes at six. It's funny that this is, you know, a fairly recent uh, thing. But you see a lot like Kamara at eight, Kareem Hunt at 11. It's really interesting. Um, Smith-Schuster at 16. Then Dalvin Cook gets in there at 19. Christian McCaffrey at 20. So even as recently as this would have been um, April of 2018. So wait. Would this have been after the, this would have been after they had played their first season, right? Yeah. So this was before the Mahomes breakout season. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But so we, even then, so, you know, it's like, there would have been the perception that McCaffrey would have been behind those guys. So it's just kind of like crazy. And and McCaffrey's first season was still really good. You know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, and some of this does like raise the question of like the value of other positions uh, and then like the value of the running back position relative to everyone else. Um, I mean, maybe Christian McCaffrey, if you did that draft over again, would be where did he have McCaffrey? You said number 20. Yeah, 20 to the to the Broncos, which is kind of I mean, maybe McCaffrey actually would be like the the 20th player in this class. Like, I know that sounds that, that sounds almost sacrilegious, but like he. You still cannot take McCaffrey ahead of Trubisky. You know what I mean? Like yep. you, you have to take your shot at, uh, at a quarterback. There are other guys in that class who are probably worth just as much as, as McCaffrey, like, I don't know, like TJ Watt, like, uh, an edge defender. Like yep. those guys are, are worth more than a running back. Marlon Humphrey is a shutdown cornerback. Like he's worth more than a running back. Marshawn Lattimore you know, like there are guys who are still worth more than running backs. Um, there are probably at least 10 of them in this class, maybe closer to 20. So, I mean, I, as good as Christian McCaffrey is, like he still is maybe only like, I don't know, like the 10th best player in that class. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. So actually, let me, I said that poorly in terms of best, he's maybe one of the best. But like in terms of value of like what he like the impact that he has on the game and the difference that he makes in terms of whether a team wins or loses, he is maybe like the 20th most valuable player. Right. Yeah, I'm with you there. So um, I'm going to have to pull up actually after we get off like a or look at the end of this season to see where some of these guys would be now, because I, I think that in terms of offensive players, it would be surprising other than quarterback to see people ahead of ahead of McCaffrey um, moving along, though. Every year, the president pardons a turkey. If you could pardon one player for their 2019 performance, who is it? Oh, it's got to be Juju. Yes, okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be Juju. Uh, You know, and and part of that is like very selfish just because I I want him to succeed. But, um, you know, he still has... He still has the attributes that that you look for in a guy who's going to have long-term success. You know, entered the league young, was productive in college, productive in the NFL at a young age, uh, has good size and athleticism. Um, I know that there's the perception that he's a slot-only receiver, but I really don't think that's the case. I think he can move around. Um, So, yeah, he's the guy that I would still – I would want to forgive in part because I still think that he has a bright future. Yeah, I think everybody out there knows that, that that's the answer I would I would say too. And I I think that we actually probably should give him a bit of a pardon for this season. Um again, like we've said, we're not saying that he's going to be 
back to our wide receiver one heading into next season, but just that this season is not representative of the type of player that he has been and the type of player that he can be. Oh, he he's going to be my number one next year. <laughs> I can't just dub- wait. I'm just doubling down on it. Um, it's it's my version of the buy low model. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to see the tweets that get directed your your way when that happens. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I I can't go there, but he will still yeah. be. I I think a wide receiver one for me. Yeah, that that is certainly a possibility. You know, uh, Americans to, to, travel to side, thousands. Sorry, just to uh, sidetrack. Uh, yep. Thinking of young a, a young wide receiver, I like quite a bit. Um. DJ Moore, um, where do you think, like, if shooting from the hip, uh, yep. he ranks next year in redraft leagues? Where, do, like, not ranks in terms of the end of the season, but like in terms of draft, where do you yep. think he he slots in? Oof. Um, I honestly would not be surprised if we start to see people thinking about him. Um maybe around like the two, three turn. Yeah. Like I think people will think of him as a low end wide receiver one or high end wide receiver two. Like, and that's like, that's the range for him. Um, yeah. I guess some of it's going to depend on what drafters do with running backs in response to this season. Cause you're going to have a season where McCaffrey killed it. You know, Dalvin cook had a very strong season, but you also had Saquon Barkley, not living up to expectations. DJ, uh, excuse me, David Johnson, as you mentioned, Le'Veon Bell. I'm not really sure what people are going to be viewing as they reflect. Cause we know that oftentimes ADP of one season is very reactionary to the season. Right. Prior. Right. And then another thing that factors into the DJ Moore draft position is the quarterback position. Uh, what they do with mm. Cam Newton, mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Allen, but uh, I, I think it almost doesn't matter who is his quarterback. I mean, it does matter, but like not all that much. Like he's he's getting 11.3 targets per game over the past month. Um, you know, he's he's really starting to come on and he's only 22. Right, um, And I mean, we yeah. knew this, right? Like if you looked at his athletic profile, it was impressive. There's a lot of things signaling to this. So I don't think that this is the type of season that's an aber you know an anomaly by any stretch no, of the imagination no so. not at all and based on what he did in the second half of last season yeah you could you could see this coming yeah for sure so yeah excitement there should be a fair amount of excitement for more as we move into into next season um to get to the question that i've been wanting to ask you now for a while of my cheesy typical types of uh questions <laughs> that people would have on shows Americans travel thousands of miles over the holidays. Who is the player that you want to send away with a one-way ticket? Meaning they will never be on your fantasy team again after this season. Uh, that is a good question. Um, you know, I, this is, it's like a cop-out, but I don't really have a, I don't have players like that. I guess one, you could say I don't have players like that because I am awesome at drafting. <laughs> but uh, no, the the real <laughs> I, the real reason why I kind of haven't thought about uh, a player like I just want to stay away from is that like everyone has a has a price, yeah, and it's just like a matter of like affixing the right value on that player in terms of like whether you are a buyer or a seller. Um, so I don't really have like players that I would just absolutely stay away from. I think it's just, and th- I mean it's a cop out answer, but it just it really it's it's all determined by the price. I mean, 
if I had to think of players that uh, are like done, um, like David Johnson is done. Yeah. Like, but we we talked about that. Um, like any running back who is older, I think is just like done. And and I would say like I probably don't want a player like that on my team, and I probably actually do undervalue them, um, because I am so anti old old running backs because I just don't see the upside in them. Like they're not going. Okay. I just don't see them as being league winners. So like someone like Lashawn McCoy, even if he comes back on the Chiefs next year, like there's a 0% chance he ends up on my team unless it's like the last round in the Scott fishbowl and he's still there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, it has to be an extreme circumstance for me to take, uh, any player that I think has a low upside and like nothing screams low upside to me, like an old running back. Completely. It kind of goes back to the, and lots of times the range in where you're taking these guys is a range where it can make it, all the difference in the world for your team if you grab that guy that becomes the next big thing where you know when you're grabbing LaShawn McCoy they just are not going to become the next big thing I think for me a player that I would answer this question with would be a name that you may have forgotten about AJ Green I think will probably enter next season depending on the team he's with that you know kind of a perhaps value ADP which will slightly creep up but I've been starting to get concerned, especially as a dynasty owner, about Green for the last couple of seasons. Having missed this whole year, I think that we're probably now at the point where the perception surrounding Green will not be able to be matched by his actual performance on the field. Yeah, that's that's an interesting call. Um, I could I could see that. I could also see people being low on Green, like appropriately low on Green, just because they haven't seen anything out of him uh, forever. Um, so uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where his value is. And another guy is maybe DD Westbrook. And, um, like I, I like him. I think he has a good skill set. I think he's better than the production he's had in his NFL career, but, um, I just don't know if it's ever going to happen for him. So he is someone that I like, I, I like in theory, but I'm starting to view more pessimistically. Excellent. Uh, so there's no take lock there. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I just wanted to use the term take lock. Um, okay. Patrick Laird, a major discussion uh, topic <laughs> this week. Thoughts on that? Okay. I, I am, uh, I don't want to say confused because like, I just, I don't know. Like I understood the enthusiasm around him, but like, I always thought it was like sort of tongue in cheek, but I also like, like it, it was tongue in cheek, but I should say the people who were really enthusiastic about him were trying to have their cake and eat it too. They were trying to sort of like play it off as like it's something of a joke and it was something of a joke, but to where if he had hit, they absolutely would have claimed it. Um, (laughs) Since he didn't hit, uh, I think they still have to claim that too. And in all fairness to them, they do. They like they do claim it, you know, like, uh, you know, they're like, okay, well, that was a donkey thing of us to do. Um, But I mean, there are people I think who are uh, like taking it really seriously. Yes. Everyone who uh, who pimped out Patrick Laird this last week was a total donkey. It should have their, uh, you know, quote unquote, tout card taken away. Um, and I think like those people aren't like really seeing <laughs> seeing the humor of both situations. One, the humor of the people who were talking about him. And then also the humor of um, of the people who actually played him. Um, like, I think it is humorous. That there were, uh, I guess, apparently a lot of people who who played Patrick Laird and like 
if it's done in a certain way, I guess it makes sense. But like, I think it is funny that people played him. Yeah, the whole thing to me is funny. If there's anybody out there uh, that has no idea what we're talking about, I don't use Twitter as much as a lot of uh, fantasy people. But um, there's a lot of people, and like Matt said, kind of there was a huge element which was tongue in cheek of just making a big case about Patrick Laird. Uh, yeah, coming I mean, in. so it's it's not like it's a a secret. Like Davis Maddock was one of the guys. Uh, Pete Overzet was one of the guys, and like we're like we're friendly with those guys. Yeah, like, like you know they're old school Rotoviz guys. Um, and they were doing it in a humorous way. Like those guys, half of their brand is humor. Right. You know, so like anything they say, you always have to assume that at least like 13% of it is pseudo ironic, you know? So, uh, I mean, when those guys were the ones talking about Patrick Laird, like you have to pay attention, but you also have to know like, Hey, these guys might be joking. Like there's, there's the element of the absurd in all of this. Right. It, it, to me, it's such a funny example too of how people just want to find things to be angry about and to, you know, like rally around. It's like, um, I, I think that you can reserve your anger for not being angry at uh, people, you know, kind of having fun and, and um, you know, kind of being tongue in cheek about fantasy football. So I found yeah. that reaction from some people pretty surprising. And, and also, like, we're in week 12. Yeah. You know, like, like the, the fish have been eaten by the sharks. Uh, is that your cat in the background? Yeah, that is. He just came down. He, he <laughs> yeah. busted his way yeah. in through the cat door. Yeah. So, like, the fish have been eaten by the sharks. Um, the, anyone who's here is, like, somewhat, like, in the know. And also, I mean, running backs are dying, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we're at that part of the season where uh, Jonathan Williams is coming from nowhere and rushing for a hundred yards, you know? So like, it's not unfathomable for someone to come out of nowhere on the dolphins uh, and, and steal the starting job and get some production like that, that could happen. Like Patrick Laird could actually still have his day this year. That actually would be the, I would, I would really enjoy that if that happens um, by the end of the season, who knows? Could be as soon yeah. as the next week. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has averaged 27 points per game since week eight. Daniel Jones has been at 26. Give me a surprise player for the playoffs. Um, also, if you want to talk about Tannehill, feel free to do so. Uh, I don't know if I have a, a surprise player for the playoffs. Um, maybe, and this would be totally against my brand, but, uh, I think that, uh, Sony Michelle has a really good playoff schedule. I would need to kind of refresh my memory there, but, um, it like Michelle has, uh, come under fire. He hasn't really looked all that good this year. Um, but I, I do believe he has a really good playoff schedule in week 15. He plays, I'm looking at this now in week 15, he plays the Bengals who, yep. uh, just absolutely gets slashed by running backs, uh, week, uh, let me see. Oh yeah. The bills week 16, week 14 against the chiefs. They also get crushed yep. by running backs. Like he has a pretty good running back schedule. Um, I, I don't know if like a lot of leagues, their trade deadline has passed or like it's coming up. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's someone I think could, uh, just break out in the playoffs. Yeah. So I will admit that, uh, that's definitely a possibility. I've actually been saying, um, for a while now, cause I do a, uh, article that comes out on Fridays normally called tomorrow's moves today, where we look at, uh, our strength of schedule tool and the Patriots have been one of those teams that if you've been looking for running backs to step up in the back half of the season, there's been a high chance that, um, 
it's going to be a player on New England because of those matchups. I'd been holding out hope that perhaps Damian Harris would find his way into some playing time and had been keeping him in my back pocket on some teams because of that schedule. Um, that does not look like it's going to happen, but I agree with you. We could see Sony Michelle um, manage to kind of salvage the season for some people down the stretch. Hey, I want to talk about Damian Harris uh, yep. since you since you mentioned him. What do you think his workload looks like next year? Because, um, I mean, Sony Michelle is still there. He will be under contract. I think he's still going to be the lead guy. But, you know, they do tend to split up the backfield work. Like, do you think Damian Harris takes some of the, like, quote unquote, Rex Burkhead role next year? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I do have reservations about saying that um, he gets the type of workload that for sure makes him fantasy relevant. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I think it would be more in the capacity of, of like Burkhead. I wouldn't be too concerned um, if I'm a Harris owner or somebody that's thinking of, you know, keeping him in the back of their mind for next season because he hasn't had, um, you know, the chance to really get in there this year, um, I think it will be okay. The other interesting thing I think will be the usage of, of James White next season as well, um, because that has been kind of a steady role for White over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, depending on how things go with the receiving situation, and it's surprising to think that there's, it feels like there's a lot up in the air with this New England team that you would think we kind of have a concrete vision for heading into the, the next season at this point with this team. Um, but I'm not really sure what the usage of white would look like. Um, but Harris, yeah, I think it could kind of have that Burke, Burkhead role, very long winded yeah. response there. Yeah. Harris is really interesting to me because we've seen the Patriots before draft guys with relatively high picks and yep. then just sit them for a year. Like yep. Steven Ridley and Shane Vereen both drafted in, I believe 2011 with like second and third round picks did almost nothing. Their rookie seasons. And then were pretty significant players uh, in years two and years three. Um, and Damian Harris, like I think, has maybe the most complete skill set out of any back on the on the team, like outside from Burkhead. But like Burkhead, I think probably doesn't have like three down. Um, let me say that Burkhead has like a three down skill set without having lead back capability. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think Harris actually might have lead back capability or like something close enough to it. You know what I, I mean? Like, yeah. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Like Burkhead, I think is a player that, especially on a team like the Patriots, you can, you can make very excellent usage of, but I'm not sure that he has the, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, like just the pure talent, like Harris might yeah, do right. be successful in, in, or as as successful in all situations. Maybe there's a couple of things that Burkhead can do better, but I'm just not sure that he's quite as dynamic as Harris is. Yeah, like Burkhead has a a three down skill set, but he's never going to be a lead back, right? Like on on a consistent basis. But Harris might be. Like he, I think he probably has more like raw talent than Burkhead. He's a better runner than James White, and he's a better receiver than Sony Michelle. Like there's there's a chance he actually ends up being the guy next year. Yeah, that's I, I mean, I think that's really in play, um, you just, especially when you look at what Sony Michelle has done. There's no reason to think that it's better than what any other, you know, 
back that the Patriots have right now could potentially oh, yeah. be doing in that offense. Yeah, I mean, at a minimum, Michelle is vulnerable, like highly vulnerable. It's not as if they're not going to give anyone else a chance to beat out Sony Michelle. Like Sony Michelle has opened the door to like to anyone, like any invader who could take his job. Yeah, I completely agree with that. To close things out, Matt, you are inviting three NFL head coaches or NFL personalities. They cannot be active players over for the holidays. Who are you inviting? Oh, man. That's um, a tough one, I know. That's a good question. So they cannot be active players, but they can be active coaches, I'm assuming. Yep, they can be active coaches. They can be uh, commentators, the guys that do the pregame shows, you name it. Yeah. Um, I'd probably want Romo. Okay. Uh, as one of the guys, because like, I think he's, uh, I think he would be like a good facilitator, like of conversation, like he's jovial, but he's also intelligent. Uh, he could answer lots of questions about football, but I think he'd be fun to hang out with too. Yep. Um, Belichick maybe, uh, because I think it would be funny to see him in a social situation <laughs> in part, like curmudgeonly wouldn't want to talk to anybody yep. would give like one word answers. Uh, and then if you ask the right question, uh, if you like stumble into the right question, then he will just give you like a 15 minute answer talking about like the minutia of some sort of, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like alignment that was popular in the 1950s or something like yep. that. Um, I, but I think, I think Belichick could be interesting. Um, and then, man, I don't know if I'd actually want to spend much time in his presence, but Jerry Jones, just so that uh, Romo and I could team up on him and tell him that he needs to fire Jason Garrett. And like, we could just like air the grievances uh, like a Costanza uh, for hours, just telling him about how he has uh, betrayed the great state of Texas. What the hell did you trade Jay Buna for? He hit 30 home runs, 125 RBIs, got a rocket for an arm. My baseball people, they like Ken Phelps bat. They kept saying, Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. That was really good. <laughs> All right. On that note, I actually did kind of butcher. I forget exactly what he says. Uh, but for those of you that don't know, there is an episode where George just parks his car and basically just leaves it at Yankee Stadium to make it look like he's the first one in and the first one out. Um, and then I forget exactly what happens, but uh, they think that he's dead. And uh, um, help me out here. Why can't I think of but, the but name? That's, but that, I don't think that's the episode. We're talking about uh, Festivus. Oh, yeah, no, no. Okay, I was bringing in. You're right with Festivus. I was bringing in that episode and then Steinbrenner goes to see George's parents and the first thing that Frank Costanza wants to ask him is why the hell they traded J.B. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your son is dead. Why did you trade J.B.? Yeah. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Anyway, that will do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF at MattFTheOracle. Eat some pie and until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.